Hello and welcome to the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Dan Kelly. Dan, thank you very much for coming on. Before we get into this episode, make sure you follow us on Twitter, at BettingPod, and check out the website, businessofbetting.com. Guest suggestions are much appreciated. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Betfair Proprietary Limited. Betfair operates a betting exchange and is licensed in the Northern Territory of Australia. Residents of Australia can join Betfair by visiting betfair.com.au and support this podcast by using promo code BOBPOD. Please gamble responsibly. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Business of Betting podcast. Today I'm joined by Dan Kelly. Dan, thank you very much for coming on. Hey, Jake. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, big fan of the podcast, uh, mate. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, you've had an amazing array of guests and I'm thrilled to be, uh, thrilled to be a part of it, mate. I'm certainly looking forward to it. I, I had a few weeks off, which was nice, and uh, looking forward now to get back into it for this season. And being from Australia myself and, and from Melbourne, it's good to get back to the roots and talk about some, some racing, some betting, and, and a bit about your past. So tell us, how did things get rolling for you in the betting world? Well, um, I uh, I was probably along the lines of being born into it, I, I suppose you could say. My, my grandfather was an owner and a trainer. My father, uh, an owner, breeder, racing administrator, but um, I'm the oldest of five, and I said, well, I got it, I, I got the bug, you know, but I've got four siblings who've really got not much interest in racing at all, so I sort of, I say, I've got the uh, the, four, the five full doses, so, um, yeah, I've been, I was, in, all I can remember as a kid, I've got great memories of, um, you know, being around horses, dad had, dad had horses at home and, and trained locally, and uh I grew up in a little town called Woodend, which is about 45 minutes north of Melbourne. There was a Woodend race club when I was a kid, but it, mer- it folded in 1982 and merged with Kyneton. So Dad was a committee member there and then uh, obviously moved up to Kyneton where he was a committee member and president. But he used to, uh, we had a family business in town, a, a produce store come hardware store, petrol station. And uh, so from as early as I can remember, eight years old, I used to work there on a Saturday morning. And if the Kyneton races were on on a Saturday afternoon, I'd I'd tag along with that. I'd get my wages, which might have been ten or twenty bucks, and heat it up to the committee room, and I'd be there for the whole day on a on a race course. And it was just, I used to say, people's just like Disneyland for me. It, I loved loved the horses. I loved the the books, the colour of the bookmakers, the jockey silks. The um, yeah, if I wanted to, even back in those days, you you know, and have a little bet and grab one of the other committee members. If I see them come down to have a bet before the race, I'd ask them to put a buck or two on a horse for me. Um, you could watch the 2,000 metre and the, and the starts in the straight there and you go up and watch the greats crash back. and Yeah, so I had the bug from a pretty early age, Jake, and uh, I just I just loved it. Could, couldn't get enough of it, really. So what was it like, teenage years, high school, that period of time? Were you always still involved or did you take a bit of a back seat as you went through those years? No, it, it just grew and grew. It was a, was a great era. In the, I sort of grew up in the mid-80s um, through, those, through those years. Um so, I mean, it was an era of great horses, um, Bone, Bone Crusher and Vaux Rogue and, and other champions. And um, so I, I was quite following it and closely all along. And I ended up, um, I was 
my father went to Assumption College, which is a, a proud sort of sporting boarding school at Kilmore here in Victoria, and uh, I sort of wanted to follow on pretty quickly. Um, I was a bit of a scallywag at primary school, and uh, they told my parents that I needed another three years at home, so I didn't end up going to Assumption until uh, year 10, um, and then I got there, and no, it was great. It was footy, cricket, and racing, really. It was kids from all over the country, Victoria, with similar interests, and, and we lived together and lived, eat and breathed each other's company. That's why we were such a successful college football team. And But uh, there's a really, a lot of the guys loved racing as well. So um, we just used to listen to it on the radio. We used to get the librarian to sneak our bets down to the TAB. Um, I played SP bookie for my year level in my dormitory. Um, a couple of other well-known guys, uh, particularly Matt Tripp, who obviously now is a, mm, involved with Bet Easy and things like that. They were the other year above us and they were doing the same in the year level. So yeah, so right through, we just had a, a great, you know, I grew up around sports, but particularly racing, never, uh, it never dulled, mate, it just grew. Were you making any cash on the side, bookmaking or betting at that time? Was it all recreational fun and it was sort of ups and downs, but pretty small stuff? It was fun. I never had to, I never had to call for reinforcements from home from, from a bad strip <laughs> out in the book or anything, like uh, one other particular guy did, but uh, no, it was just, it was just fun and um, we had guys, we had kids at school whose families owned horses, so... They used to tootle off to so they'd have a big tip, you're tipping it today, and we'd load them up with 20 bets, and he'd have to write down that five each way for Dan, 10 each way for Shane, and then he'd come back if the horse won and dish it all out, and yeah, so um, no, it was all just fun. It was 10, 5, 10 bucks. You got a, you got a little um, allowance to go to boarding school, obviously a cash allowance off your parents, and you just did your best with it, and it was a race to the, we had a little newspaper shop there, one of the brothers ran, and it was a race down there on a Friday morning to uh, to grab the first Herald Sun to get the form guide, and it was just to, to see how long it could last before the first teacher would, would get it off you in the class, you know. And, Kelly, that's contraband. Show me what you got under the desk, you know. <laughs> Another form guide. Anyway, so, um, yeah, so, no, it was just good fun, mate. It was just great, great memories, you know. You, they told us at the time, you know, you'll, you'll wish you, you know, you'll look back on these boarding school memories, great, and you're a young kid and you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But as you get older, you just reflect on them with great, 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 great memories, mate. So what about once you finished high school and you sort of had to become an adult? Were you thinking that racing was something you couldn't possibly do and you have to go into the corporate world or finance or, or start your own store like the folks? Or what was the next step for you? Yeah, so the next so years, I, was, I sort of didn't, I didn't do that well at school. I sort of got through, scraped through, obviously, with my, my few distractions elsewhere. And uh, um, no, I sort of gambling-wise sort of wasn't the first port I sort of port a call um, I was sort of more trying to get going, and I got sort of going through my connections to Dad's work. Um, so, what uh, uh, was a wire and fencing company actually who dealt with my father gave me my first little little job, and you know I was just living pay to pay and punting and losing, and you know everything you do as a 19 year old you just have a crack. And uh, it wasn't until about a year later I landed at I could sort of play a bit of footy, and I landed at Caulfield Football Club. And obviously, it was a was a being Caulfield there was a, a, a it was a good footy club. There's a lot of racing people around that club and born and bred in Caulfield. And um, so I got through the connections there. Um, I got involved. I sort of started heading towards the, the, the gambling side of things. But my first actual job um, was at the Crown Casino in that in that area. Um, I started there as a as a dealer. Um, funnily, I met my wife there training, actually, funnily enough. So that was good. But, um, yeah, so I trained up and then I sort of got into dealing and learned all the three games and um, the battle that's blackjack, roulette and baccarat. And once you learn baccarat, you can get into the VIP area. So I was I was sort of soon, I was up to the mahogany room, which was terrific. And um, and then sort of supervising games there as a supervisor 
yeah, so that was that was a, that was a you know that was good fun and a great 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 place to be because because Crown Casino was just kicking off back then. It was sort of around the year late nineties, two thousand. It was just so it was going gangbusters, you know. Yeah, it's I'm guessing still one of the biggest casinos in Australia. And tell us about the mahogany room. Not many people have probably been into an elite high rollers room like that. It was probably an interesting place to uh, spend some time. It was really really interesting. Um, Jake uh, saw many things, many different people. Um, I mean, Chinese New Year was just absolute chaos, especially on a baccarat table. They're, they're ten deep, and you know, well, well um, as it's, it's Chinese, it's lucky to gamble in Chinese New Year. And if you win, you know, you, that provides you hopefully with the prosperous to be a prosperous year. Um, so yeah, that was chaotic. But I was sort of on the morning. I got on the morning shift, which was a a four a.m. to midday shift, pretty quickly. Um, so it was a bit quieter there. And they did what they have got there. They've got what's called salons in the in the hotel. So um, they've got an area called Level 88 up, up sort of. Uh, it's not actually Level 88, but that's what they call it for lucky, lucky number eight reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where the VIPs sort of hang out. And there's some some little private salons there. So yes, it was it was a good gig because um, not much had happened. The TV would be on, and but you had to be there and open if a, if a VIP was in town because a good chance at up past six in the morning when he wakes up, he throws his dressing gown on and in he comes and gets a million dollars credit and starts having a hundred thousand dollars on a hand of baccarat. Wow. And then at 7.30, he gets a tap on the shoulder, come and play golf. So, okay, he's off to the private golf course, and then you wait there again until he arrives back about 11 o'clock for as soon as he got back from golfing, his golf gear starts betting again. And, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> mate, it was, a, it was a, yeah, it was a, you, you just lose the value for money there, mate. It was a, it was a bloody interesting stuff and uh, entertaining, so, yeah. Was it helpful to learn about those other games, Blackjack and Roulette and Baccarat, some of the, the strategy around that and, and, I guess, some of the odds calculations in your head on the fly? Yeah, well, they still had some card counters they permitted back then, play who didn't do too much damage, so you sort of um, learnt, learnt that there was a, there was an edge there, but Blackjack's pretty much a, a house game. Roulette was a great game to deal because of all the actions and the, the big table and the get high, but, but the main the main one they all play is the Baccarat, you know, the, it's the lowest margin for the house, obviously, and, and um, it's an exciting game, particularly with the squeezing of the cards and Things like that, yeah, but, but and I was sort of what, early early twenties here, so it was really a, a great starting point to to get into sort of seeing that side of wagering. But at the same time, I always had the passion for racing. I was still betting and losing and living as a single guy and um, living pay to pay and things like that. So um, I got uh, Caulfield. I had a good mate I met through Caulfield Footy, who was actually one of my groomsmen at my wedding, Peter Paddy Davies, and uh, I met him through Caulfield Football Club, and he he was a bookmaker's clerk. And um, in Melbourne, but he also used to travel interstate. You know, a couple of the ex-bookies clerks had sort of moved to Darwin and Cairns and and lived up there. And he used to go up there and help them out and sub a, a second license or something on their big days, Darwin Cup Day or Cairns Amateurs Cup Day. So he asked me to go along one day and said, "Come along and jump on the bag. I need some staff." And I just loved it. I just oh, it was so much fun throwing the bag, cash and betting and watching it all happen and. Um, and luckily enough, I got back to Melbourne, and uh, a bookie called a good mate of his called John Dow asked him if he hadn't knew any staff. And I think it was about Spring Carnival, 1998 or something like that. And um, so Paddy sort of said, "Yeah, give this young kid Dan a go." And it was the front lawn in Flemington on Oaks Day, and it was just—I'd never seen anything so big. <laughs> they were queued up to bet, and you know, Johnny said, "Make sure you look after everyone, but grab the notes and just be nice to the little ladies having." A dollar each way, but if you see a hundred or fifty, grab it and just get the bets down. And yeah, they were queued up from the the moment they fifteen minutes before the first to you know to the last race it was the biggest thing I'd ever seen. And again, I just loved being a part of it. And um, and then 
I was just lucky through John. He, another bookie, Anthony Dowdy, who's still a leading rails bookmaker now and a, a great educator of young guys at the track. Um, obviously, I think asked a similar question to John if he knew any young guys, and John said, "Yeah, give this, you can give this young Dan a go." So, um, the next spring carnival, I worked for Anthony, and and that got me going, mate. There's a lot to pick up and learn by osmosis being at the track, I would imagine, and it seems like a lot of people are 10, 20, 30, 40 years involved in racing. It must just be a all-consuming, enjoyable and fun place to be. It was. Yeah, it was. It was. It just, you just couldn't, again, my life, especially me being, a, you know, with my love of it and everything, I just couldn't get enough of it. Every race day, I'd just love being there and um, yeah, surrounded by, you know, a heap of your peers, all the bookies watching all the different ways they operate, all the clerks, you know, we're bookies, clerks all sort of hung out together. We all got out after the last and get out for a drink and out for dinner and um, but also all the different things you learn, you know. I was on the bag, so you learn the cash and how to count cash and you know, deal with the customers and then you you move to what's called a groundy. So where you're you're protecting the bookie, letting me know what's what, what horses are going off, what's happening in the ring, what punters are backing what, and also having bet backs, you know, Anthony will say, Quick go and go and quick go and back this horse to win thirty thousand so off you go, trying to back the be- take the best odds. You know, um, and then you move on to the phone. There was phone betting, everyone was betting with phones as sort of pre internet bookies, so um, the phones and looking after the phone clients, getting their bets down, putting them in the computer was changing from handwritten to computers back then. So I sort of got a real good grasp of all aspects of sort of on-course bookmaking through through working for Anthony for sure. And then what about the corporate bookmaking as it sort of is known today? Was that something that slowly came about or did it come with a loud crash and bang and then before you knew it, you know, on-course was sort of overtaken pretty quickly? No, it was pretty, was pretty slow. Um, it was through so this is i was on course sort of from early 2000s so it was the action was huge on track then we had huge bookies you know bill bill graham frank hudson uh, ray swanee i mean they're all at the peak of their powers um they were massive bookies and then the, there was massive cash um everyone was betting at the track there were some really big punters uh, most of them a lot of them now were at, the, at uh <laughs> yeah locked up you could say but anyway but there's a lot of cash at the races the, the tracksuit gang they were betting at the track a lot a couple of other guys um were huge punters and um, that's all changed now of course but it was was huge action back then anyway so uh yeah no it was great it was great um it was big stuff so i i sort of did all that and then mark reed i think ias uh, moved from darwin back to melbourne sort of around 2006 2007 and he was one of the he was the sort of leading on on call off course internet bookie and he was just starting out so um i saw a job advertised with him in i think it was 2008 just after i got married and um yeah and i, I started off there so when do you remember the first day when you went in there what they told you to do was it completely different to your on-course bookmaking role when you went into the office in more of a corporate environment yeah well when i, when I had my interview with mark he sort of he was thinking, well, the, the job was as an analyst and a trader and he was sort of more interested in my analytical skills to start with, and so I, I said I was sort of watch. I was watching VHS videos at the time and showed him a couple of the little shortened comments I was doing and things like that. So, um, he said, "Well, your first job is is going to be doing video comments on Hong Kong racing. We're getting into going to get serious on Hong Kong racing." And um, I went in and made some good video comments. And he just bought a he just bought out a um, a betting company, a betting group called Ferncord, who were a there were some very clever punters from South Australia, and I think it was a bit of a you can't beat them by them sort of thing. He, he knew how successful they were, so and he just he bought all their IP. So he said, and well, with doing these video comments, here's a new way of doing them. Here's all the codes and everything. So I sat with those codes and 
you know, did 12 race cards twice a week at Hong Kong. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a great grounding. You know, it was, it was a bit gruelling. Everyone else, all the other guys were sort of blasting away on the races over on the trading floor, and I was sitting there, you know, just banging away on, on um, honk, banging on all these hundreds of Hong Kong video comments. But um, in hindsight, it was a, it was a terrific, terrific grounding for me in that, in that, in that respect and, and education in that art form, of, which was really strong back then. What was Mark's sort of mantra and business model? Was he happy to take on even pretty smart punters or was he careful and, and really wanted to know his players? No, you, he, he, wanted to, he, was happy to, he was happy to play, play all comers to certain levels. Um, that was the beauty of the thing. The, the traders had real autonomy over, was more playing the horse than playing the man. So we had, all their, we had a great, great database, form guys, clever guys doing the form. Um, so he was, uh, yeah, we were more play the horse than play the man. Um, but all you, obviously the really clever guys were, I had some restrictions on, but yeah, it was a real, it was a real battle of, of trader versus punter. Um, and then, you know, that was all, it was all, um, recorded and charted. So you get your trader reports, how you went against the hot clients, how you went against the not hot clients, and then your bonuses. If you beat the hot clients and you had a good year, you could bet also bet for the company, you know, so all your, your bonuses were assessed on all that in the wash-up at the end of 12 months. So, yeah, the, the traders had real drive to, to do well and, and um, put up accurate markets and things like that. Where it's, all, it's all changed a bit now, but we'll get to that. Tell me about the group of traders that were there. Were they all very much experts and, and probably could have done pretty well on their own if they did that at that time? It was a really interesting um, group of guys. Uh, so Mark, liked to, he liked to surround himself with guys, clever, clever guys, you know, so... Actually, funny, you know, coming from a racetrack background, I was a. There's only a couple of us in there. Um, he sort of there was guys with marketing degrees, law degrees. Um, obviously, a, a previous guest on your show, Mark Roden, was there. Who he was another probably with a race yep, bit yep. of a race racetrack background. Um, but yeah, but a lot of clever guys who was taught to do the form from scratch um, by Mark or by his other um, Jared Toomey, who was his sort of two IC in the form area. Really clever guy, and so trained up with no preconceived ideas coming from beforehand and to do the form. So, yeah, so some really clever guys were in there and um, also complimented by a few of us guys who, who had a race course background, you know. So we complimented each other. Rethink the way you see sport. Every action or play can be represented by a series of numbers. When you analyse this data... Patterns begin to emerge. If you follow these patterns and develop systems, you can play the game within the game. Betfair.com.au. Gamble responsibly. So transitioning now to your current situation, was a lot of the stuff that you learnt and went through and experienced whilst at IAS really valuable to what you're doing now, or is it a different mindset and skill set to be a punter versus more of a trader and bookmaker? Yeah, I, it's changed. I reckon it's just, that was ten years ago when I started there. So, what I, I, it's sort of held me in good stead up until probably recent times. But the, you know, it's an ever-changing marketplace and and things like that. Um, so I, I went so just back to back to that time. The um, Mark was well, Ryes was was brought out by um, Paddy Power when they came to Australia to buy Sportsbet, and they bought Sportsbet and, and bought IS as well. Um, so I sort of continued on there to be a senior trader, but then you could see sort of the way things were going. You know, the, the form and the analysis side of things was 
going to go by the wayside for, for, for data, um, you know, the maths guys and, and risk management. So I left there in about 2012, 2013, and I thought I had a good grounding with that, with that video comments and, and the good understanding that I could make it on, on my own. And, and it was been good for that. It was a real good edge in it in those first couple of years, but it's gradually um, even... Um, I heard on Rob, Rob Waterhouse's podcast with you, you asked him the question about video comments, and he, he seemed to say um, their value has nearly eroded due to the, everyone can see them now, you know, back 10 years ago, I was getting them on VHS privately and not many people were getting them. Yep. Um, so you just have to, um, you know, realise, and that's sort of my figures show that things weren't as good as they were back in that era, so you sort of got to make some adjustments. So the good core basics are still hold me in good stead, but you have to change to what's going on in the marketplace as well. Do you have a sense if the Paddy Power style, or let me put it this way, do you think that there's lower risk in the Paddy Power style but similar level of profitability, or is there a bit of a gap between what Mark was doing in the IS days and what they're currently doing? I think with the 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 way the markets, if there was the same pool of punters who were betting back then in 2008, you'd say, well, Mark's way would, would, would hold up really well. Um, unfort- well, not unfortunately, but the way the market's changed in the last 10 years, the last three or four years, is with the computer model teams getting sharper and sharper, more dominant um, in the market. They're, they're really hard to beat over time. Um, so I think it's, it's just, a, just the way it's gone, that if you, if you let them on, um, you know, they will beat you over time. You know, they'll beat you over time no matter what, what, what position you take or what, how, how you attack them. So, you know, I think they've said that's the best way to, to deal with it is to, is to, um, you know, really tighten down and, and use their IP and things like that. But, um, yeah, so I, and, you know, I don't think, while I'd like to say, um, form and having autonomy over the book and picking and choosing who you bet and things like that, how much you bet them would hold up for a singular trader. It's probably a more profitable way now, the way the, the corporates are attacking it. So take me through your current approach and your sort of day-to-day lifestyle. What works for you now with what you're currently doing? Well, I'm sort of going through a bit of a transitioning phase at the moment, Jake. I've sort of, as you said, I sort of came to the realisation that, you know, my, like I said um, previously, sort of 75% of what I did was in, in the video comments and um, things like that. So with that sort of edge, you know, eroding and things like that, I'm sort of looking to... To, to do not to do something else but to, to look at different areas so I'm sort of kind of trying trying to get into the data side of things and you know I've sat here for that you know as I say I've, sat at, I've really sat at the coal face every day for the last 10 or 11 years and then I've got another 10 years sort of experience before that but you know I'm watching thousands and thousands of races um, watching the betting on them um, most importantly doing the post race on them doing the post race analysis doing those video comments putting ratings on all those horses looking at all the results making sure everything, all those results uh, make sense. You know, if there's a 100 to 1 chance, one somehow, why did it win? The favourites have failed, why they failed, things like that. And trying to use all that, what I've learned, and then put that into, trying to get that into some sort of, at the end of the day, some sort of automation, you know, um, area. So I'm working on that at the moment. But basically, day to day, I'm still doing the format. I still, so I'll have a look at the meetings in the morning, um, look for some, you know, I'll have some horses that might have been flagged and races that have flagged. Um, so I sort of look at the races in that sweet spot and um, do some form and yeah, try and try and get an edge, but it, that, it's just getting tougher there. So as I said, I'm trying to try rather than sit on my hands and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to sort of um, get something else up and going to, to have a crack. 
how much more efficient do you think the markets have got over your time? Do you think there's a, a vast disparity from when you're maybe on track to now? Do you think the computer modelers and the teams involved in that have really made the margins thinner and thinner in terms of the efficiency? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Oh, it's, it's chalk and cheese. I remember when, um, so it was, was this back when Betfair first came to the track um, years ago and some of the old-time bookies just didn't use it or look at it. You know, they were successful in what they were doing. And then along with that came the proliferation. I'm not well. Then there was with the bigger proliferation of the of the computer team prices, and and they're sending guys to the track. And you know those old bookies who did buy the, you know, unfortunately they went broke. And and um, then 2008, you know, it's it's completely changed from you know as I said from sitting in the office back then to what we're doing. And we've you know the only ones getting videos back in the mid mid 2000s to now everyone can see the videos, everyone can see the sectional times. And then the, the, the computer teams are striving and striving to get smarter and stronger. And you can, I just, as I said, when I sit and look at thousands of races and watch the betting then watch the result, um, I just, yeah, they, they're so, they're so, so good. You know, it's, I just, it's just, I mean, it's great. It's great for them and it's, but I, I admire them. I mean, it's terrific. It's, I was, um, I was very lucky enough to have, to be invited to have lunch with Jelko one day. Um, I've got, I've got a, a mutual friend, a mutual friend who just, out of the blue, said to me, "Look, I'm flying down to Hobart to have lunch with Jelko. Would you like to come?" And of course, I, I jumped at it. You know, I just yeah. How often, how often would you be able to sit on a table with Jelko? And I was lucky to have the seat next to him on a table of six. And um, it was it was terrific, terrific afternoon. We, you know, we got stuck into the red, and he was telling stories right from the start, right through. And um, that was a great experience. Another, another, you know, this industry we meet lots of great people. Um, that was a great experience to meet him. But yeah, but uh, yeah, so just everything's changed, mate. I'm, and I think you've got to change with the times. If you, as I said, with the old bookies who went broke when Betfair and the and computer model started betting, the money started getting to the track. If you sit on your hands, you you know it might go past you. So um, yeah, yeah, times have definitely changed, mate, and keep changing. So how do you, if you can identify that and you know that that's happening, how do you implement that into what you're doing? Do you have to factor the market price in much more than you used to if it was previously, you know, an eight to one chance? you thought was four to one and then you would have a bit of a crack at it. Maybe now you've got to factor in the market a bit more and say, well, it's probably a six or seven to one chance, not a four to one chance. Yeah. I'd rather be with those. I'd rather be with the teams and the horses they back than against them. Mm-hmm. So I'd, if I've got one, you know, four to one and they're looked to be charging into the seven to two and I'm happy to tune in. You know, I'm happy to tune in. I don't have to wait for it to get hit to 550 or something like that. I'll say, I'll back, you know, the way, how, how accurate they are and how dynamic they are. If, you know, I'll, um, this should be probably, this is probably a five to two chance. So if I like it and I want to take short rides, so I use them as a guide and put more on. And then if that horse is express out in the market, well then have something on it, but have less on it. They're telling you, no, this is for one reason or other. They're very good on their, their maps. Um, they're charting the early speed of horses. The horses barry manners, whether they get in and out of the gates. And what horse from a wide gate has got speed to cross a horse from an inside gate? They're excellent at that. So um, some sometimes we can sort of try to kick up for a horse. You can say, well, I think he'll go forward. And um, the other, the, the, they'll say, no, no, he's going to be behind this horse. And, which, and, it, and when, it, when you watch it and then when it happens, you say, well, they were telling you, the betting was telling you. So, um, yeah, so I've just, I'd, I'd rather be with them than against them for sure. So when you think the betting was telling you, the betting was telling you, do you think that, is something that you can only pick up with the experience that you have or is that something that anyone can sort of start now and, and know in sort of six or nine, 12 months? 
well, I'd, I'd like to think that my that, that 10,000 hours or whatever they say, 10,000 races, 10,000 hours counts for something. But I think in this in an in an era of, of data, you know, it's a lot. This is a very data driven. All these these guys, these guys aren't doing the foreman races. They this is all data driven and and things like that. So I would think, you know, sharp sharp young guys coming into the industry focusing on data um, would would you know have it a bit be a bit easier for them than it was for us guys coming in with our, you know, and um, back 20 years ago and things like that to, to get hold of it quicker, um, you know. Um, so I think, yeah, definitely with the with the data numbers game it is um, this day and age that, yeah, younger, it wouldn't take young guys as long, you know, with, with passion and hunger to, to get a good grasp of, of um, you know, making something profitable out of it. So what are some of the things you're considering, if you don't mind sharing, about sort of advancements to your process some improvements that will help with automation or will help with, you know, collection and inputs and you can use those variables that you've developed over the years to fine-tune? Yeah, well, look, as I could be, with the market being so efficient, one of my start, my biggest, one of my key starting points is is, is the SP. You know, I just think it's more, with, with, with how clever they are and how dominant on the market, I, I think it's, it's a really, really, it's the most useful it's ever been as a tool of information. So that's, Basically, SP is you know is expected performance from the betting to and then you can match that against what actually happened the actual performance. So um, using that SP, so any any system that in my head I come up with one of the first things is I, I run an SP thing over it and you basically you know you can kick out you know it'll tell you it'll show up um, you know any any horse in this system over ten to one is is a complete wipe. So you know you just, first thing you do, then you run the system again with all horses under ten to one and things like that. Um, I've, I'm looking to, you know, play in where my strengths are. Um, you know, um, I've got, you know, I like what platforms of horses I like, which is, you know, I don't really have much success with horses first up, but third and fourth up, up in distance, um, when they're fit and the, and the trainer's happy to, for them to be more forward and things like that. Well, I, I find I've, I have, a, I back a lot of winnings in that area. So, um, running some systems, you know, through that. And at the moment they're just, you know, data and, Giving me sort of pointing me selection systems pointing me in the right direction of opportunities hopefully but I'd like to you know work on it and build it up to, to something um, more automation more more automated wise mate I'm I ten years not ten years even back at Sportsbet I used to crunch out ten hour days as a, you know as a you know I had no kids things like that um, my first son came along just when I left but I still you see you sort of when they when you have your first child you're still sort of it's a it's a not much of a change. It is a change, but you still try and do a lot of things you did when you um, when you were pre-children, and and now I've got a my second child, my daughter. You know, I mean, things change a lot um, time-wise. You know, my my wife asked me to give up Sunday's betting, which is fair. It's a family day. It used to be my most profitable day. Um, soon, junior sport and things are going to eat into my Saturdays, and you just can't lock yourself in the dungeon these days and do ten-hour days when you've got two little kids, and um, you know, a lot more is expected of fathers these days. So. The more I can sort of build something that can be a bit more automated and a bit more, you know, um, would be the better for my, my my family life as well. So, have you considered outsourcing or you know buying maps or buying an initial set of ratings from someone you trust and then adding a layer on top of that, which is obviously your input? I've got a I've got a terrific database I use anyway in ratings to win. It's a it's a great database and it's got you know it's got six years of history and um, it's got all my all my video comments from since I've been on it the last six years. Um, so I'm working on that at the moment. Um, I put numbers on all the horses. It's 
um, in the maidens, and then I, 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 I really target the maidens, so I'm really fine-tuned their numbers, and but I do rate the other club, provincial classes and put a number on performance as well. And, um, Betfair run terrific functions down here for, for, for guys like us, you know, um, to put us sort of in a room with our contemporaries and um, you speak to a lot of guys and they, they like to pick up stuff off you and you can pick up stuff off them. And, and what you said then is that, you know, people have said, why don't you, you know, those principles spread your wings a bit, see if they apply to other classes, other jurisdictions. Um, that's another thing I'm working on. So I've sort of got out, you know, I've been run, I, ran a, I ran a program on a trainer yesterday. I just, he's been training a lot of winners and so I thought I'll see how he goes, you know, and I sort of wanted to sort of target him down a bit on maidens, what I'm good at, but straight away I ran his stacks and he was, he was dynamite on first starters. Um, maidens were no good, but really good on other provincial classes. So I split off the first starters and ran them as their own their own system um, and then ran the other system minus the maidens, so, which I'd never thought I'd do because I'd always target maidens. And so any time he has a runner in those things now that I've fine-tuned, I'll get an alert and see if that leads to an opportunity. That's interesting. So it sounds like it's evolving and you've got to evolve with the times. And do you look ahead one, three, ten years down the line and think about where you need to get to? Yeah, for sure, for sure, Jake. Well, this is this is, this is only in recent years. I thought, you know, the way I, was, I got off, I was very lucky. I got off to a flyer at a good edge back in 2013, 2014, 15, all was good. Probably up until about 18 months ago, it was all good. But, you know, as I said, the market's changed. The corporate bookmaking landscape's changed. The way they're um, putting up their prices Minimum bet laws everyone can get on these days um, makes things tighter. Things are getting knocked off. You know, you'd, you'd find one at Yarra Glen three or four years ago on a Saturday. You'd mark at twos and they'd put up tens and you'd be able to get your bet on it to run twos and win by three links. Well, that, that just doesn't happen anymore. So, um, you know, I tried to stick it out for another year and in the last sort of few months I've sort of I've tried to come up with a new way forward and, yeah, absolutely, I'd, you know, It'd be a sad day if we've ever, you know, if I've ever got to go and get a job again, Jake. But you know, I've got a family to support, and um, you know, so that, that's first and foremost. But of course, I want to do this for the rest of my life. I, I love it. Um, I love the puzzle of it, and been getting into the data side has actually um, invigorated me to some degree. It's it can get a bit stale just doing what you're doing, grinding away, betting, betting, pitting your wits against the computer models to some degree. So, yeah, might I, um, yeah, I'd love to get something automated that I could just do a 40-hour week and spend a lot of time with my family and, 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 and be profitable enough for us to have a good lifestyle. So take me through the betting side. Do you utilize multiple accounts with multiple bookmakers to be able to, to get on or are you just using the exchanges or, or how do you go about when you're ready to place a bet? Yeah, well, I, um, previously I used all avenues. I you know, used the gut field a bit early, try and head off the computer models if all the teams if you think they're going to back one. Um, so yeah, well, this I've got a spread. I don't, I don't. I'm not a huge punter, so so I've got six or seven core core corporates um, and the TAB. But the, the the main ones I'll probably use are the TAB. They bet me the biggest limits and seem to bet me the fairest. And and Betfair, I've, you know, I like I like betting late. As I said, I tried to move towards soaking up a bit more market intelligence into my betting to try and up it. So you sort of take a shorter price, but with you know with the, the you know, seeing seeing that it's it's well fancied by by the computer team. So Betfair, I've yeah, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy the anonymity of betting on Betfair. I'm not, you know, you're, you're profiled. I used to work in the corporate bookmaking world. I know how the risk management works. I know how they profile clients, what information they have on every client. Um, that's none of that on Betfair. Your, your bets are anonymous. Um, I really like that part of it. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, more, and all this all this stuff I'm testing is all at S, all the resulting I'm doing is at SP. So I'm not, you know, so, again, 
that'll be like um, I'll be you know looking a bit on Betfair and maybe some best totes somewhere if I can get it. I can't top sport the only place. The only sort of fair book you can get a bit best tote. I can't get a best tote bet anywhere. I'm restricted for there. If I need it, they can look after me. They're a couple, another good betting place. Um, yeah, so yeah, maybe, but I'll be I'll be trying a bit late and and automated and late would be the go, Jake. So how do you go about watching five, six, seven corporates and Betfair and everything else all at one time? Yeah, well, we've got we've got a terrific um, betting betting platform here in Australia called Dynamic Odds. Um, you can configure it to exactly how you like it. Um, it updates to the second, or, or you know, particularly there. So you have it all lined up. It's, you know, oh gee, it's, a, it's such a great thing. It kind of came along ten years ago or something, and um, yeah, it's just a wonder. It's, it is the betting marketplace. You know, it used to be on track when I was fifteen years ago. The betting marketplace was where I stood in front of me at, at Flemington and in Mooney Valley and wherever. Um, now the betting marketplace is there on on dynamic odds. Um, all the bookies are there. Betfair's. I've got Betfair front and centre. So. Um, yeah, so it's um it's great, and you can bet through there as well. Um, you can get the bets on quick. So, yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a great tool for any punters out there. And if you're in Australia, I highly recommend you get hold of it. So, take us through the differences between being on course with all the energy and adrenaline, and you know the tracksuit gang are coming to place fifty thousand dollar bets, one, two, three, four of them, versus sitting at home watching dynamic odds on the screen and. Maybe seeing you know three fifty into three twenty into two ninety and starts two sixty. How how easy is it to get that same vibe and feeling and energy from on course where you can sense if something's going to go off or if it's hot versus on the screen where it probably flashes green and red and, and whatever else. Oh, there's two. I mean, there's two parts to that, Jake. The the one thing, the first point I'll say is about sitting at home and you're on your own in an office or as we call them dungeons um, versus being at the track it's it's one thing i really miss um the camaraderie at the track the action you know something always happening especially back then when you know you'd, you'd be standing there and then i just want to go off and the bookies would tell you to bet back and all the clerks would be crashing into each other and i mean i was there the day um i got chills which is one of the biggest yeah. plungers yeah. i'm involved so I was, I was working for simon beasley at the time and um i was having a break from anthony and when simon beasley just started and well, standing was oh, it was the first race on I think it was Melbourne Cup Day or Derby Day, one of those days. So it was like ten thirty in the morning. Yeah, the two year old race. Uh, yeah, yeah, the two year old race, and we're sitting there, and the prices, you know, the prize bookie. So I just put a set of prizes up and trying to count the cash, and then one of the owners turns up behind us and says five thousand on number ten, and Simon's oh, you can have five hundred on it, and then it was going <laughs> off and off and off, and he just stood there, and then he said, what price is it now? Six dollars, give us another five thousand on it, and then um, so they bet, and then they just have a you know, well, there's was all the club, we're all trying to run around and get on it ourselves, of course. All the clerks said something's going on here. <laughs> um, that's what you did as well. You tried to tune into that sort of stuff and get compliment your wages by. Uh, so yes, I miss all that. I mean, I'm even just I, I sort of owned a few horses in the last few years and just getting out of the office, getting the races, talking to the trainers, talking to other people who are all the old bookies at the track. I just it's something you really miss um, sitting at home. But, um, the other the other is the, the weight of money. I mean, you just know that the way the corporates bet these days is. There's no, there's no way anyone's having anyone with any clever um, nows is having, you know, fifty thousand on a horse, um, you know, premium. And the, at the country races I look at anyway, um, you know, the most someone will probably get on on if they can one of the teams if they got an even money favourite and they can bet in fifteen bookies, or they can have two to win two thousand on a sale, they might be able to get thirty grand on even money chance. Um, so the weight of money's not there, so the excitement's not there. Um, reading between the lines of and the market moves to. The way they bet now is they follow Betfair late. They they have a fishing expedition early, and then they just follow Betfair to late. And um, 
yeah, the recreational dollar rule sort of, you know, they, they can get $5,000 out of a recreational punter and the price will stay there. They get $550 out of a smart punter and the, the price is 20s into 10s. So um, definitely not the same excitement, mate, but, you know, we, it's just the landscape and how it is, unfortunately. Yeah. No, I'm curious. You mentioned a little bit before about uh, some of the camaraderie and even some of the events you've you've been to. Do you have a mentor in this space that you can go to or is have you kept those relationships from past or even do you mentee some others that are coming up and, and learn from them? What's the uh, the relationship building process like these days when you spend a lot of time in the dungeon, I would imagine? Yeah, well, I'm very lucky, as you probably know, um, a, 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 a great guy from Sydney, Darren Potter, moved down here maybe five or six years ago now and um, he was doing some stuff for what was back then called the Punters Show. And um, anyway, he's moved down here and um, another guy, another good, great guy you've had on the show, Anthony Jupp, asked me a few years ago, said, look, this Darren Potter's come down from Sydney, the Melbourne Cup's coming up, we'd like to do a, um, a Melbourne Cup preview, um, do you want to be a part of it? And um, there's me and another terrific guy who's now a, a racing steward, a betting steward, I mean, Sydney Lee Dalton, so there was, I think there was the four of us and uh, yeah, so that, that was good fun and we potted the hell out of Prince of Penzance because Michelle was on it and of course, <laughs> home it went, nothing surer, you know, so, but... Um, you weren't on your own with that one. <laughs> hundred to one winner in a Melbourne Cup, how big! But um, yeah, so I got to know Darren Potter, and then Juppy Potts and I used to do a few shows together. And as it's turned out, um, yeah, we do a YouTube show. I now do it with Darren Potter. It's great. Every second Monday, I get I get out of the house and get to the Emerald Hotel, which is a great racing pub in Melbourne, run by some great racing people, Andy Lewis and his family. And yeah, and we 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 chat about you know and and chat about racing and different things. And then um, we you know once the camera's down, we we, you know, pick Potts's brain, and he probably does the same with me, and we run all sorts of things by each other, and it's just, it's a great outlet for me. He's a great guy, really helped me, um, really knowledgeable. Actually, you've had him on the show, so most people, if they don't, go back and have a listen yeah, to absolutely. his podcast. It was, it was, it was terrific. There's a lot to be learned from from Darren, and and through the show, yeah, I'll get, you know, I get a, a bit of a profile on Twitter, um, get some young guys contacting me, asking me advice, asking me, you know, think different things, and that's. I see that as a bit of a mentoring role. I'm always happy to help and grow the game, as we say, and give something back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we touched on a few things already, but what do you sort of self-assess or self-diagnose as some of the biggest challenges that you or someone in your position, you know, might face in the future? The wagering, the wagering landscapes is probably the the thing that's changing and making it tougher and tougher. There's a consolidation going on there, obviously, and they're getting. Their, their prices are sort of, um, they're putting a lot of work into their data and their quants and their maths guys and their, their prices are getting more efficient. So that's, that's, that's a challenge to try and, um, and they're, they're, you know, they're protecting their mode. There's, I think the, the race fields legislations we have in, in Victoria and the, now with the point of consumption tax, so the fees levied on those, those bookies have now made them really get tougher and tougher. But we're lucky in Victoria. I mean, Victoria's seem to be the state that's leading the way with with the with their relationships with the wagering operators with their taxation things like that so well, I you know I I think you know I've, I've got a good you know the racing the industry down here feels really good at the moment other states have got their challenges um, but no I think I think um, you know you could say growing the game but I think you know I think it's you know with the advent the corp the free to air TV channels are really hungry for for sport you know they're really with the proliferation of Netflix and other things like that. They've sort of made targeted um, live sport and things like that as as a go-to. So there's going to be more exposure there. You know, the, the corporate bookmakers are terrific advertisers for the industry. So um, 
you know they pour a lot into into marketing. So the, the young generation are exposed to, to to racing and things like that in that in that side of things. So I don't I don't think there's you know I've, I've got a good feeling about the, the industry down here at the moment, Jake. So you've been watching racing a long time. I've got to ask: Black Caviar versus Winks. Have you are you able to split them? Do you have a preference? What's your thoughts on the the best uh, horse in recent times? <laughs> I've backed them both once, Jake. I backed Black Caviar <laughs> the day it, I was I was on the drink at the casino, and she was a dollar twenty or something. The night I was in late at night. The the, the race in the UK. Um, that she's so yeah. I was trying to try to pinch. Almost got beat. Is that the one? Almost got beaten. Yeah, the closest anyone ever got to her. Almost got beat. And then Winks one day. Someone's oh, there's a moral this day. She was just like picking it up off the ground. I don't think it was the day. Red Excitement skipped six in front, and she was still three off it at the hundred meter mark, and just fell in. And I said, <laughs> oh my god, fell anyway. So um, oh look, I, I'm I love the way. I, it's more I would not matching their abilities. I just I warmed to Winks. I just love the way she. She travels up and and um, you know just yeah I, I love I met I was lucky enough to meet Peter Ty in Darwin and I was lucky enough Nick Heathcote and the Betfair guys um, I went up to the Betfair uh, the Darwin Cup with them this year and got to meet Peter Ty and um, he's a lovely guy a lovely racing guy um, so I had a good chat with him about the the great man was come leading into this last spring when she won the Cox Plate um, I've just yeah I've just I suppose I just I like I've got a real love the way she goes about what she does mate. Yeah, it's a tough one. It's certainly a tough one. And I, I think I saw the other night or last night even that Winks won World Horse of the Year or something like that. So. Oh, she did, did she? Yep. So she's doing yep. right. Dan, thank you very much for coming on. It's been fun chatting. You know, I, I didn't tell you this in the beginning, but I went to Essendon Grammar, so we're arch rivals uh, because Oh, we are too. We are too. I was yes. going to ask a, a question about Mr. Carroll and some of the old days, but we'll uh, we'll chat about that some other time, certainly. Well, I was famously, I was famously ironed out. By, uh, by Dustin Fletcher in a schoolboy game at, uh, <laughs> at the showgrounds, Essendon Grammar versus Assumption, and uh, a good man, another mate, Paul Dimitino, who was watching it, said it was like Stan Magro and Jezelinko. He just laid me. <laughs> I just ran straight into him and ended up flat in my bum. But anyway, mate, oh, great memories. Awesome. All right, Dan, appreciate it. Thanks again for coming on. Terrific, Jake. Great to chat with you.